Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name is Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. 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 So, we got plenty of things to talk about. It is uh, the 14th today. We're actually recording it on a Sunday morning, but um, of March. But we're going to talk o- OU basketball. Um, a um, interesting and exciting conclusion to their season uh and then really talk about the big four teams here in detroit i think there's interesting stuff going on with all of them so i think we'll touch on them um including some things that we talked about last time blake griffin he's going to come up in the conversation today uh we certainly have spring training things to talk about um some lion stuff and a little bit of red wings as well so all that and more coming up on the saturday morning sports symposium So starting in the world of Oakland University men's basketball and uh, a trip to the Horizon Tourney Finals. And I mean, if we haven't talked about uh, what makes a season successful for Oakland uh, 8,000 times, um, certainly this was, uh, you know, you know we, we've said the NCAA Tourney, right? That That's success. But this is perhaps further than we thought they might go, uh, particularly with their super limited bench, which they continued on in the tournament, but did a really nice job winning a couple of very exciting games. And you had to feel like, um, and, and but you know, Rashad Williams had a, a big game in their first victory, uh, and we hadn't said good things about him all year long. Um, and then Oladapo in the second game. And then they lost to Cleveland State, but you had to go into that game thinking they could win because um, Cleveland State had it took them three overtimes to beat P- Purdue Fort Wayne and then were down by double digits in their game against Milwaukee. And so it, it was shaping up for Oakland to have a legitimate shot. Um, so anyway, that's the, the, the overview of it. But uh, curious as to your guys' thoughts. You know, take a look at what did happen, um, you, you know, and, and, and especially when you're looking at the Northern Kentucky game, uh, how unbelievably efficient that they were, and specifically uh, Oladipo's uh, performance in that game. Uh, but the, in general, I would say is if I were to look at the season, and especially with them playing all these back-to-backs all season long, it seemed like... They, they would be able to bring it quite a bit in, in one game and then not necessarily do it. Or if they didn't play very well in the first game, then all of a sudden they were inspired to make up for their effort to, you know, the, in, in the next game. Um, that, that was the, the general overall trend. And Brandon, I, I think the thing that really hurts this team is really in general the complete lack of depth that they have, and that—it's that, nothing to. I'm not putting down the bench as much as the, the, the bench simply wasn't uh, a great performer most of the season. And with you only basically able to go six deep, it, it to me these back-to-back games, even with the conditions that uh, 
uh, Justin went ahead and eloquently uh, put out there regarding uh, Cleveland State, uh, it seemed it, it, it almost on the other side predictable that they weren't able to follow through on the second night. Yeah, no, I think that is truly the story. And it isn't so much that um, they weren't able to use their bench in the game against Cleveland State. It's that, you know, that they hadn't used their bench in the two consecutive nights, basically. And Cleveland State decided, as many teams do in a conference final, we're just going to go start. Starters are going to play 35 to 40 minutes. And the OU starters just did not have the gas in the tank to keep up with the Cleveland State starters down the stretch. And I think that has to do with the fact that the bench really did not play much at all in the first two tournament games. Like 15 minutes collectively off the bench against Northern Kentucky. Probably not a whole lot better in the first game. I don't recall offhand. Zion Young did play well against Cleveland State. But again, six deep. You know, I mean, they just they just did not have the depth. And even, even though Cleveland State had some tough games, like their bench was much fresher. Their starters were much yeah, and, and, and actually getting to Zion Young, um, and I don't have it right in front of me, but he played like 20 minutes that first game, but then he played four against Northern Kentucky. And, and granted, he came in and missed three three-pointers, but then, and again, this is something we've talked about with Campy, is there are games when he will just stick somebody in a corner. And, and, and granted, we don't know the reasoning behind that, but... Yeah, I, I mean, they basically, I mean, Kangu at least played a little bit, but, but I mean, 16, 15 total minutes off the bench. I mean, you, you can't win. You can, but boy, does that make it hard. Um, Very difficult when you're playing your third back-to-back game, you know, and from a talent standpoint, you know, I think they actually should match up pretty well with Cleveland State. You know, I mean, I think Wright State had the most talent in the league, but, you know, they got um, but they were just out of gas. Jalen Moore looked banged up. Uh, Oladapo had a poor game after really dominating down the stretch in both the regular season and in the first two tournaments. Uh, and then Rashad Williams just not making good decisions uh, against Cleveland State. And that's something when we when we kind of flip to the next year's preview just to see how that plays out, you know, and, and how much of a green light he gets to shoot the ball. And again, yeah, yeah, against Northern Kentucky, shot well. Uh, you know, shot well in the first game. Certainly made some big, big shots in both games. But on the whole, for the year, you know, look at way too many of his stat lines that show what they show against Cleveland State, which is about five for twenty. Uh, yeah, threes too. So, but you know, we we kind of veered off a little, which was was the success. I think totally. Finals. I mean, the 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 league relative to mid other mid majors was weak, but it was deep. And so the fact that they were able to outlast, you know, a right state, outlast these other teams, you know, even Northern Kentucky, they're good teams. Um, you know, and make it to the finals. Like that's a that's a great year for them. And uh, you know, I don't I think Campy deserves a lot of credit given how the season started. You know, they went through that grinder of games, you know, which I sure certainly helped them down the stretch. It always does. And so kudos to to Campy. And then, you know, when we Put the script to next year in a minute. I think it's the upside is as high as it could possibly be. You know, going back a few years. And and to that point, Brandon, you make is when you look at the way the season started. So not well on many levels <laughs> uh, between not being able to practice and um, not being able to. Um, you know, really, I mean that that non conference schedule was just 
brutal and then kind of a rough start to the conference for them to be able to go ahead and say, Hey, they made the conference championship game. Um, I, I think had we back in January, you know, someone would have told us they were going to do that. We would politely tell them to check into the doctor uh, for a couple, you know, an appointment and check about their craziness level. Um, and, um, but, but no, I mean, that's, that's absolutely, it was a very, very, very good season for sure. I'm curious, I don't, I have not seen an official announcement. Are they, uh, are they saying that they won't play a, a, a post-conference, uh, post-season uh, um, tournament, uh, you know, at, at large tournament at all? I haven't seen that. So hopefully they're able to get invited to something, um, one of these uh, NITs or, or, you know, it can be USA something something that, that happens. Um, it'll be interesting because again, I think this is a team. When you're talking about the future, every game, every practice counts, and it would go probably a long way in terms of helping uh, this team, you know, get more playing time. So, yeah, good point. I have not seen anything one way or the other. So yeah, um, remains to be seen if they're going to do one of the the uh, the other tournaments. But yeah, I can't argue with that. Um, anything to get them some more, you know, crunch time, playing time, you know, a tournament style format is, you know, I think super useful for that. But uh, to go ahead and, uh, you know, turn the page to the next year preview, um, again, with the transfer portal, I think it makes it so hard to really understand. But yep. Um, you know, uh, Camp Campy's done a really good job. There was actually an article in the paper, I don't know what, two weeks ago maybe, about Campy's um, ability to use the transfer portal positively despite the really terrific players that have been lost. Um, but this is a younger team, and there is some hope for the future. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if the roster comes back as is, you know, I, I don't know how another team could be ranked higher um, in the preseason conference, uh, you know, kind of, you know, seeding or standings or what have you. Just, you know, Oladapo is not going to transfer. He's going to be a senior coming back. And frankly, he was starting to dominate the league uh, down the stretch. Uh, Jalen Moore, I have no reason to believe he's going to transfer right after transferring, you know, and he's, you know, a contender for Horizon League player of the year next year. He's coming back. Rashad Williams, I don't think is going anywhere. He's coming back. You know, then you got Zion Young. Like, he, you know, he's a senior. So, you know, they're going to have a really, really experienced team next year. I don't see the transfer portal hurting them uh, the way that it has in years past where they were losing freshmen and sophomore, sophomores to it who had a chance to kind of, you know, change their arc a bit in the future of their career. Uh, whereas this, this is really just the final run for this particular group of guys, even though it came together kind of strangely. So, I mean, I think they have a pretty dominant roster coming back. The question will be next year, what do they get off the bench? Well, but let's let's talk about two guys who started all year in Micah Parrish and Trey Townsend. Now, they're both freshmen. Now, yep. granted, they're, they're Michigan guys, you know, one's from Ipsy, one's from Oxford. So it's a little, a little different um, than maybe somebody recruited from the Midwest area. But, you know, they, they started basically every game this year. And that's and where, good. yeah, yeah, no. And I guess there's an outside chance that a young Michael Parrish could leave, but Trey Townsend's a legacy player at Oakland. Uh, he's a legacy. That family's a legacy family at the university. He's not going anywhere. He came specifically to play for camping. 
Um, and so, you know, I think it's exciting. I think they will have a rock star team next year. I just feel like you're setting us up for disappointment, Brandon. I really do. Like just all this, all this ab, absolute speaking that you're doing, these statements with absoluteness behind them. I'm, I, I'm, I'm all now. I'm really scared now than I was before. That's fair because I did this a few years ago in the, <laughs> the transfer portal. So, but they were going to be that good that year too. So. Yeah, no, I, I, again, I hope you're right. I just, I'm a little scared that we've, we've uh, somehow yeah. I think you're right with fate. I think it's, I think it's, you know, <laughs> different, right? You know, Jalen Moore is like a Juco transfer, you know, Zion Young transferred from a lesser league, right? They've already transferred once into Oakland. Right. And so, and really just the, the thing to close with and really what has hurt this team we talked about a couple of years ago, um, card play. If Campy does not have a good floor general, his offense does not work. And you get a Jalen Moore back in, and you got Campy right back to the national championship team. Or, excuse me, the conference championship team. And really, if we're being honest, though, we, we know that, that the point guard situation has to be uh, a remedy for pretty much every college basketball team out there. And, I mean, and, and, and we know that watching the Spartans, who had Cassius Winston, who was good as any point guard last season in college basketball. And this year, I don't even, it's tough to even know who is the point guard on that team. And it's just, you, you, if you don't have it in, in college basketball, it can uphill climb to be productive at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair point. What I would say is that in other leagues, there's a lot more off the ball playing by point guards and there are multiple ball handlers. Uh, and in a league like the Horizon League, that's typically not the case. Typically, in a mid-major, the point guard is far more the floor general and controls the ball a lot more. You know, Michigan switches between Mike Smith and Eli Brooks. They both ball handle uh, quite a bit, and they can come out of the game. In the, in a mid-major league, you rarely see a point guard switch off like that and come off the ball. And Campy was trying to do it the last few years, and it wasn't working. And so, yeah, I, I take your point, Adam. And Michigan State certainly is probably the best, you know, in the country of a team that can out how to move the ball on offense but you know I think in particular for a mid-major team really good point guard play is the difference maker. So let's talk a little bit about uh, U of M and MSU uh, since we brought them up and just what their uh, future looks like. Obviously U of M is having such a great season uh, despite I mean they were off for what was it, two weeks because uh, of COVID um, yeah. but are just what, uh, you know, I mean, they're obviously going to go to the tourney, um, even though uh, they got knocked off before uh, the conference championship. Um, but, um, you know, I guess what, what, what are you looking for them seeding wise and where are they going? And then we'll talk a little bit MSU and are they even going to make the tourney? But. Well, through Friday, I would have told you Michigan was the number one seed and maybe the favorite to win the tournament. Then Levers uh, ended up getting a uh, a stress uh, injury in his foot. So I don't even – I mean, I could see where they get a number two seed because of that particular piece. And them – and then it, I mean, and I, I don't know if it was just a deflated team yesterday. They just – they looked like a, a – they looked a bit flat. I mean, I, I, I hate using that word when describing a, a team, but they look like a little bit of the air was let out of their uh, 
tires or and and very good possibly be because Juwan Howard got overly excited in Friday's game as well, and they might have uh, been a little bit of emotional. I, but Brandon, uh, my takeaway: it has been an absolutely fantastic season. They're definitely laying the foundation for a fantastic program. But going into this tournament, I'm not quite sure they get a number one seed, and I don't know how well they're going to play with, uh, without a, a really really good lever, uh, levers and, and not only his play, but his leadership on the court. Yeah, I think it's definitely a question mark for them. Um, I think a two seed is becoming increasingly likely. I think if Ohio State wins today, Ohio State may jump them and take the second Big Ten number one seed. Um, but, you know, that'll be up to, I think if Illinois wins today, Michigan probably still takes the fourth number one seed. Um, but, you know, I'm obviously losing livers is devastating, but I think what people forget about this team is that they, they just need to learn to play differently. There's not a shortage of talent. Hunter Dickinson is like dominant when they start to play through him. And he dominated Ohio State and almost beat Ohio State yesterday in a game that Michigan should not have been in. And Michigan had a chance to win it on the last play. And, and frankly, ran a terrible play. And they could have won that game. Uh, and that's where everything was going wrong. Franz Wagner falling out with eight minutes left. Um, I think that what this team needed actually more than anything else is exactly what they're going to get, which is rest. People forget the story before uh, Friday night was Eli Brooks being hurt uh, and looking to be potentially a serious injury. And Eli Brooks is almost as important to Michigan as Livers is. Um, and so they just need to rest. And they do not need to play another game on a Sunday in a high-octane environment against Illinois. Like, this was actually the best thing for them, even if it hurts their seeding, was to not have to go into the grinder um, against Illinois, say. Because, you know, if you watch the game yesterday, like, five different players were banged up in that game. Like, I mean, these teams are trying to wipe each other out. out, And these are all top ten teams. They need to rest. Eli Brooks needs to get healthy. They need to practice. They need to figure out how to play without livers. And I think they'll be fine, because they still have more talent than the league. Franz Wagner is the better NBA prospect than Isaiah Livers. Hunter Dickinson will play in the NBA. I mean, Mike Smith led the Ivy League in scoring for two years. He scored 20 points a game for the Ivy League. I mean, they've got the depth that they need. They'll go deep in the tournament. I think what they had with Livers when they were all healthy was an opportunity to be a favorite or to knock off a Gonzaga or a Baylor. And now that might not be the case, but, you know, a deep runs with less talent. They even have even without livers. So rest up and, you know, even if they get a two seed, it really doesn't make much of a difference. You're going to have a couple of opportunities early in the tournament to reestablish yourself um, against teams that, you know, you, you should be fine against. And so, you know, let, let them rest up. You know, I think it's a, it's been a great – I'm actually not all that worried, um, but I do think the seeding – Okay. No, I, I and and you know what I I I'm following what you're saying. I I just it just seems like especially with levers out there, um, their their ability to kind of stretch the court and and his ball handling and whatever is definitely it it it, it just seems to me. I don't know. I, I'll be very and again and you're 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 absolutely correct with their performance yesterday. I mean they were they were out. I mean I I left my house to go enjoy a little fresh air and then I look at my phone and I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, because they looked really just kind of flat. Oh. But 
the thing that and, and guys, the thing that this team has been amazing at is that they have a, a and I I don't know where they get it from. I don't know if it's Juwan Howard. I don't know if it's the coaching. I I don't know if it's just basically the players, but they they have that 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 ability to change gears, which is just it blows my mind in terms of of that. And and that's where you you do make a good point in terms of of the you know. You know they probably do need the rest because it seemed like he, even at the end of yesterday's game, as I watched the highlights and whatever, they 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 had the gear, but at the same time, it will be good for them to get that rest. Uh, um, and uh, especially how bizarre the uh, this is not your normal uh, NCAA tournament layout of of schedule. And and to that point, I think you know the rest will be very beneficial. So. Yeah, and, and no, Adam, I can't. You know, I don't. I'm not trying to downplay Livers. If Livers they win that game, I think pretty comfortably. Because what Livers can do is he can hit a big shot. He can hit a deep three-pointer. He can hit a three-pointer with someone in their face. And that's what they needed in that game. They need someone to be able to manufacture their own offense the way that Dwayne Washington was for Ohio State, who was stupidly good yesterday. Um, and so um, can't, can't argue with you. And in a game against another top-10 team, let's say in the Sweet 16 or in the Elite Eight, it may be what finished with them, the fact that they don't have that shot-making ability. So we'll see. So with that said, um, let's just touch on MSU real quick. Are they going to the tournament? I cannot cannot imagine an NCAA committee not having, getting in there time ago. They'll figure out a way of getting him in. in. We'll be a play-in game. They'll make sure that he, you know, to be a 10 or 11 seed, but they are going to make sure that time, I mean, this will be the first time in in over two decades that they haven't made the tournament. And I can't imagine, because I'll tell you what, the backlash, they would just say, you know what? And, And you know what? You know that this team, they'll go in, they'll probably you know, win a game because, and, and I think, you know what, and, and Brandon made a great point about Michigan State, but very indirectly is that you have a conference right now that is going to end up having two number one seeds. And I mean, you, you have a, a plethora of, of choices there. And as a result, you're going to have then with Michigan State, the strength of schedule, and especially how well they played down the stretch with a win against Illinois and a win against Michigan um, in, in the last couple of weeks. So I, and, and like I said, the biggest thing, though, is that you're not going to want to put up with the backlash of not putting in Tom Muzo. Yeah, I think that's the right call. You know, I think Adam Reed's correct on it, especially with Duke out of the tournament, with Kentucky out of the tournament. Yeah. Almost certainly. Um, you know, I think UNC will now get back in um, after the way down the stretch. I think it's a lock that Michigan State gets. I mean, they beat three top ten teams in the last two weeks. I mean, that – they, they, they deserve to get in, I think. But I think, to Adam's point, it will probably be a play-in game. They're probably going to be on that 11 seed line. And this is a team that, I mean, they could lose that game. I mean, they are just a mess. They have no earthly idea what's going on on any given night. They could make it to the Sweet 16, or they could get knocked off by, you know, Seton Hall or, you know, some other random program in that, in that play-in game. I mean, they really, you have no idea what's going to happen with that team. What I do know is that, Anyone that's expecting Izzo Magic this March is going to be sorely disappointed. Uh, they could they could go to the Sweet 16, but this team is just they can't figure it out. You know, against Maryland, it, like they should have with the momentum they had, they should have handled Maryland easily, and they threw away a 12 point lead and just got blew out. You know, in the second half of that game, it's not the hallmark of a typical Izzo team. 
to have a, a 10 point plus lead in the tournament game and to throw it away and lose by like 15. That's, that's not usually the makeup of <laughs> Tom is a team that goes on runs. So. It, and just we'll reiterate the point from earlier that the, 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 the difference between this team and the team last year with Cash Winston, it, it is it, it's really mind blowing, to be honest with you. It is absolutely mind blowing and how important that that point guard position is, especially in, you know, we talked about it with Greg Campman, how important it is there. We know it's just as important with a Tom as a Michigan State Spartan team with the history of point guards and how good they are with point guard versus not with a really competent point guard so so yeah. speaking of uh, do you have anything else B? No I was just going to say you know just to Adam's point I was chatting with a, a Spartan fan a couple weeks ago about that Michigan game uh, and how they kept letting Michigan back into it even after the Brooks injury and we were really just saying you know if this was a Spartans team in the past they would have been up 20 and a half you know they would have closed the door on U of M then U of M never would have gotten back in that and it's just telling, you know, that this roster just can't put folks away. That really was something that Izzo teams do so well, uh, is once they get you get you up, they, they milk everything they can out of it. You know, they, they shut you down. So talking about a team that looks a little different than last year, uh, the Detroit Pistons continue to not look like the Detroit Pistons of last year. And um, – Blake Griffin is done. His run with the Pistons is done. I don't think this is a massive surprise. Um, although, you know, a buyout is a little bit painful for the Pistons. They're going to have almost 30 mil in dead cap just for Griffin next year. And in fact, overall, they'll have 34-ish million in dead cap. Joe Smith wants his money too, but uh, anyway, him and Bobby Bonilla are still looking for checks. Well, of course, Bobby's still getting his, but anyway, um, you know, and, and, you know, Griffin going to what the Nets, I think it is. Um, what, what's your take on his departure? Well, it seemed like it was a pretty obvious next step, right? I mean, and, and I, you know, I'm I'm amazed as little as he plays and you know, we talked about gusto and, and energy. I mean, I you know, really for you know, especially when you look at how he played like two years ago going into the trade deadline versus now it's a completely different player. He he definitely doesn't have he's he's getting older by the minute, it feels like. And um really for the Pistons, it's, it's fine because where they're at and in terms of rebuilding this team, fine. You, you take the pill, you move on and, and, and you'll make it happen. And, uh, um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the general, you know, the front office will continue to go out and find guys like Wayne Ellington and, and, and Wright and, and all these cheap options and they'll get through another season and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, a really good draft pick this season and, and then another good draft pick next season. And then they can finally, you know, start to, um, hit, you know, have that foundation of, of players who are going to be around because, I mean, Brandon, at this point, the, the, the oldest player or the, 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 the player with the most uh, time on the roster at this point is uh, Dumboya, uh, I, I believe, at, at this point. And, I mean, he's got maybe a little over a year or something like that. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible that the, the absolute turnover of this roster. And as a result, that's why 
the whole Blake Griffin move makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was inevitable. Um, hope that Blake has an opportunity to make a run, uh, you know, for a title with uh, Brooklyn. Good luck to him. I don't. He he clearly had nothing left in the tank, uh, you know, and I think he'll maybe bounce around to you know a couple more teams maybe in his career, but. He, he, I think we got the last best, you know, big Blake Griffin year out of him a couple of years back. But one of um, I think it's great. Let the kids play. Let the kids play. You know, um, they've got a number of reclamation projects on the books. Uh, you know, Jackson uh, and Dennis Smith Jr. They just kind of acquired another one in Diallo from uh, Oklahoma. Uh, so let the kids play. Let's see what happens. You know, and then the Adams point get those draft picks. And uh, then, then, you know, they, are, they still need to make, I think, two kind of big moves, you know, from a peace standpoint for their roster. And that's one, uh, Dimboy, what, what happens with him? Does he work out or does he not? And then, you know, who else do you add? Um, you know, they, they still need another marquee guy. Um, and so whether that's done through the draft or through trade. Um, but, you know, I liked – they got rid of Shmi, you know, in that trade. And, you know, clearly it wasn't working out, so they moved on from him. I like it, you know, just – you know, kind of keep recycling these guys and see who can play. So. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I was just going to ask about about the trade and what you guys thought of that, but um, in, in giving up a second-round pick, which, granted, in basketball, second-round picks aren't huge. As, you know, it's not quite the same thing as, obviously, in other sports, but I would say, you know, the one thing that, that really blows me away on Blake Griffin, just to, to finish that point, is he's only 31. I mean, you you look at, um, I mean, that's not usually when you talk about a player running out of gas. So I wonder if perhaps there was more of a mental running out of gas. I mean, granted, he's had injury problems and so on and so forth. But I, I just wonder if this is one of those circumstances where if he's in a situation where he could win, uh, there will be a resurgence. So No. That guy had so many injuries. He's tr- he does he has not treated his own body like a temple. Let's put it that way. With all mm-hmm. the injuries that he's had, no, it is absolutely injuries. And and you know what? And uh, and I mean, in terms of, I don't think that Blake would ever not leave everything out on the court. Because I think if he was more of a typical NBA player two years ago, he would have gone to the front office. He would have demanded a trade. And even if he had to rework that contract a little bit, he would have done it. But the point being is that he accepted the situation. He made the most out of his experience in Detroit. And I think the only thing that really is his body is, is really failing him above anything else. My opinion, gotcha. and just from what I can gather. And I mean, I've, I've you know, as time's gone along, I've watched more and more and more. I mean, I'm it's almost appointment viewing watching this team just because of the different pieces that they have. And just from what I could see from Blake Griffin, it, he just didn't have any gas in the tank period. Yep. So let's talk about Diallo. Um, Adam, what are your thoughts? I am not going to tell you that I know a whole lot. In fact, I got a text Friday night and someone was asking me what I thought. I said, hey, I'm just starting to get my feet back wet in the old NBA world. So I, I don't want to, you know, and, and I said, from my standpoint, you know what, and, and, and it's exactly what 
uh, uh, Brandon just said. It's a piece. Beautiful. Bring in the piece. See if it works. I mean, there's been a, you know, Dennis Smith they brought in. And I mean, yeah, the first couple games was brutal because he was obviously just trying in about 135%. Once he relaxed a little bit, he's been a really good piece. He looked like he, I don't know, we might have a COVID situation with him uh, uh, where it's his do, uh, health and safety protocols on, on his side uh, uh, from last night. But uh, we'll, we'll see, and, and but hopefully Diallo, uh, again, hopefully another piece that they could possibly use. Uh, though I think, you know, he's a shooting guard. Uh, I think they're very, uh, I, for the lack of a better way, uh, cluttered with shooting guards on this team. But, um, hey, it maybe and obviously they thought that maybe he had something, and like a guy that Troy Weaver obviously knows a whole lot about. So Yeah, I think your read there at the end there, Adam, was the, the right one, which is that, it was curious. Like they got the better end of the deal. Um, I don't like the trade for Oklahoma at all. I don't really understand it. Um, Cause the second round pick is like in 2027. So it just really didn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, but you know, Diallo is very similar to Josh Jackson and Dennis Smith jr. And they're ball heavy. And so it's just interesting, you know, to have that, that many ball heavy guards on the floor. Um, you know, but I think it speaks to some questions around Naboyu and some questions around even Killian Hayes, you know, why they keep stacking these, these kind of players. Um, it, he's a better, he's a better player today than Josh Jackson or Dennis Smith Jr. You know, he's a more consistent producer. You know, he was averaging double digits with Oklahoma. Um, so but give it a whirl. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, my guess is that they're going to try to package one or two of these guys at the deadline too. Uh, come back the other way. Folks got to look at Josh Jackson or Dennis Jr. and we'll take a flyer on him and maybe they get a, a second round pick in return sooner than 2027. Uh, so I think, I think it suggests to me that there is another move coming here, um, you know, on the, the lower end of their roster, you know, if you will. Well, one can certainly say that Trey Weaver hasn't been shy about making moves. And yeah, I 100% agree that there's, there's more coming. But, and, and also, you know, I'm, I, I, uh, I do look at the numbers a lot. And a guy like Diallo is super cheap. He's still, he's super young, um, you know. And th- this is what you do, particularly in a rebuilding um, situation. It's, I mean... You know, the Pistons were likely on the hook for over thirty million. You know, uh, option on on Griffin. You know, next year it was like thirty eight, something like that. So they already took nine million off their books for next year, essentially, and are letting the young guys play and understanding and accepting that next year they're going to have a lot of dead cap. But you know what? The year after that all of a sudden that all frees up and let's see what happens. So it seems to be moving in the right direction, at least structurally, um, but remains to be seen. Obviously the results on the court right now are not awesome. Yeah. I think the, the biggest winners from this deal are Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart. Get them on the court. It just, it, I'll, the, the thing I'll leave uh, our, our piss and commentary with is I'm, I'm still trying to wrap them around in my mind with as much um, uh, movement with the players that Troy Weaver does and, and looking at who's on this roster. I'm trying to figure out who of these players are going to be 
on this team in two years when they're quote unquote competitive. And I, I, I don't, and that's where uh, branding, you say, Hey, let the guys play and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I, I totally agree, but I'm trying to figure out in, in the big picture, what the benefit will be with the amount of moves that this guy has made. I, I, and that's where I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I love, you know, everyone loves trades, right? But I'm trying to figure out now with all these moves what the ultimate end game is. Well, I think that's I think that's the question. You know, I think you could probably expect Wayne Ellington or DeLon Wright to get dealt at the deadline. Um, yeah. uh, and then I think there's really Demboyu. I don't think that you eye on him. And so, you know, I, I, I think he can be one of the pieces that can move out, you know. But Clearly, I think he just, he's building around Sadiq Bay and Grant. I think those are really the two pieces that you can expect to see. Uh, you know, a couple of years, you would assume Killian Hayes will still be on the roster, one way or the other, good or bad. Um, but you know, clearly Bay and Grant are are the pieces they're building around. And 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 it's really. Really remarkable because now, I mean, in the last week, we've heard rumors, including the Boston Celtics putting together a, a big offer for Jeremy Grant, which I, I I have to tell you so far, really happy with what Troy Weaver has done. But I will tell you, if there is a trade of a Jeremy Grant at, at this point, then I really have to start taking a half a step back and go, what what are we attempting to do here? Because that, that would really kind of play with my head. I think it would play with my head too. At the same time, if they got ransom for him, I would trade him in a heartbeat. I, right. I mean, and again, you have to yeah, well uh, take in wh- what was the deal, what was the return on. But to understand what I'm getting at is that it gets you uh, at that point. I I still kind of question what exactly they're trying to do in terms of building a foundation of this team. That kind of, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's we're all on the same page exactly with yep. that one. Is it would be real confusing unless they got a great, great deal. So, so another team that seems to be, uh, well, is definitely going to have a lot of uh, on-the-field changes for next year, the Detroit Lions. I mean, obviously with Stafford leaving, I mean, that's, that's you know, uh, pretty huge. Um, but um, I like what you said, uh, Adam, in your uh, pre-show email, release Palooza. Um, so let's let's talk about some of these roster moves and and the lack of franchising Galladay. I thought was interesting. Well, I think the Galladay thing came down to a couple of things. One, he I I think with Jared Goff, Jared Goff, their quarterback that they're bringing in, and my guess whoever they bring in, uh, in addition to Jared Goff, if, if they draft someone, uh, they're going to be really focused on you know players that can run and, and catch the ball versus a Galladay that really he cannot create separation. He doesn't have the speed to do it. Uh, and as a result, um, you know, I, I that, that's just not going to be someone that uh, um, really will fit well, uh, I think, in the, in, in the strategy and how. And plus, I mean, with him missing the games that he did, and he's been a bit of an injury uh, uh, risk uh, as well. Uh, th- those are all things that played into the idea that paying him an $18, 19000000 million, and especially after he turned down the contract, supposedly uh, back in November, uh, that it, it, it makes sense that they were not going to franchise him. Uh, and then in addition to that, the Romeo Quara, uh, a really good – I mean, 
bottom line, they're a very good pass rusher and a guy who, you know, his brother's on the team as well, uh, but they just did not feel like that money would be well suited for him to franchise him. And I think a large part of it has to do not less with him and more about the general overall salary cap situation that we have in the NFL, uh, along with uh, where the Lions are at, especially with the trading of Max Stafford and uh, the cap situation that they find themselves with that. So, uh, and then of course you add in that you know you're probably going to see Justin Coleman, uh, um, uh, Jesse James did get released. Um, uh, Christian Jones was not a big deal, and then Desmond Trufant will probably get released here pretty soon as well. So, trying to create that the cap room that they desperately need on a team that has some areas, including wide receiver. Uh, and including a defensive line that they desperately need to uh, upgrade with um, uh, more affordable, uh, um, more affordable options. So, yep. Um, what about Jared Davis? I think Jared Davis, my understanding, listening to a couple people this week, uh, that even though Dan Campbell came out and complimented uh, him and, and really does like him as a player in, in situations, uh, the thought is, is that Jared Davis and the Lions organization probably have reached an impasse of Jerry's probably ready to move on from the organization and the uh, Lions are going to be, the new regime are going to go, you know what, we're good with that period. So um, I think that that's my understanding. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Jared Davis, there's some rough moments with Jared Davis, uh, but I'm, I'm really curious about how he will perform on another team with a way different coaching. I tend to believe he will be um, measurably more effective uh, and he would have been measurably more effective with the new coaching regime here. So. Yeah. I, I just love the absolute utter indictment of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia and literally anything they thought about personnel. It's just been oh. totally destroyed. Yes. No, it is absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and I think what really um, the, the analogy or the, the, the way it was put is that, you know, Bob Quinn and, and Matt Patricia built a really good late 1980s NFC East, um, <laughs> NFC East team. They did. And, you know, I was one of those. I understood what they were trying to do. I understood what they were, 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 were getting at. And I was waiting for it to be in place to see if it could be executed. But after a while, if you, you know, and of course, with, you know, the injury bug on this team was incredible after a while. Uh, but no, I mean, it, it, it literally didn't work, period. And, and, it, and, and, and to that point, you are going to see a large turn, larger than normal turnover in this roster. Mind you, I think rebuilds happen on every team in the NFL every year because you end up having a 30 to 40% on average turnover. So that does happen, but this team will definitely go through about a 50 to 60% turnover. Uh, and, and I'll be very curious about how it all plays out. Yeah, for sure. So plenty of things we're going to be talking about, uh, particularly as we get into April and draft time and all that other fun stuff. Um, but the big question is Don Mielbach. Is he going to be back again as the long snapper? Um, at, at last check, and I heard uh, someone kind of go through the free agents. He should probably be brought be brought back again, 
under the league minimum, yes. And and as he has for several seasons, and uh, yes, he, he will be back. And we'll, we'll see a lot of those things kind of spelled out, especially uh, free agency will get underway on the 15th and uh, the actual season. And, of course, by then, hey, Jared Goff will actually be a line at that point versus, you know, you know, only by hearsay. So, yeah, it, um, I mean, you know, that's the thing with football. There's so many players on the roster. There's, there's a lot of little moves that that are going to happen, but yeah, he, Don Wilbach is uh, 40 years old. That's impressive that he's still playing football. Uh, honest to God. I mean, with, with what that game does to you and granted he only plays X number of plays a game, but still it's impressive. Well, you know what? And they were showing a picture of Tom Brady, and Tom Brady is the same age as Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I know. I know. It's weird. <laughs> I know. I know. I wish like, I had the video to see Brandon's face currently. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wilford Brimley would have been... No. I don't was, understand. <laughs> no, he was only like 45 in that movie, supposedly. So the fact check department is going to work on that. But in the meantime, um, let's touch real quick. <laughs> Brandon is really confused right now. He got one of those Sesame Street character type face to like, uh, you know. Um, let's just let's just talk real quick. Anything we want to talk about with the wings at all? No. I no. Right now. No, no, no. Real quickly, though, I think, you know, the good news about the, the, the wings is they're starting to finally get production for Zadina. Uh, um, and, and I think that's the good news. Larkin, you know, thankfully he had a, you know, some injuries and some challenges here mid-season, but he's on the ice and he's definitely, you know what, uh, him being a captain, it, it, it was... I don't want to hit with a head scratcher when the decision got made, but but Justin, really, in all honesty, I I mean that decision makes more sense now in the in looking at it in the rearview mirror than it did at the time, and I'm really happy uh, that he he seems to be playing some pretty decent decent hockey. Um, and and again, you know, we talked about with the Pistons, get good draft picks and good draft picks, and let's keep on getting the good draft picks. I'm excited to hopefully see a little more uh, uh, Cedar playing. Um, uh, as well as time goes along. So. Yeah, that would be super exciting. Um, and it's just a matter of time before they, you know, are able to really start turning some corners with some of these younger guys. Um, also, injuries and COVID have been really brutal on the team this year, and it it's shown on the ice. You know, when they have four or five regulars out on a team that's not deep, you know, you're you're in a lot of trouble under those yeah. circumstances. Yes. So um, let's talk about uh, Tigers to uh, round things out. Obviously, it's spring training. We're, we've got some baseball games going on. Um, the thing that's, that's very different about the Tigers this year is we actually have a little bit of depth. And so we actually are at the point where there are some decisions that need to be made that aren't just, well, do we go with this untested rookie or this guy who, you know, is a cast off from another team, but used to be good or what have you. And so a plethora of starting pitchers in camp. And I definitely want to talk about that, but also the outfield is a little crowded right now too. And I'm, 
super interested in in that as well. But let's start in the starting pitching uh, realm. And um, I mean, Tigers have talked about six starters. I, I that's still a little head scratching to me. Other than I get the point that you know they're coming off of a really short season, so you don't want to burn guys out and what have you. Do you see five or six man rotations here? I think based on the pitchers that they have, it, it almost makes sense just based on the fact that uh, when, when you're thinking about it, your candidates are Matt Boyd, Spencer Turnbull, uh, Michael Fulmer, and then we get into whether or not Mize and Scooble will be up. And then you've got, uh, I don't believe, my takeaway is Daniel Norris is pretty comfortable with making that final decision of him being in the bullpen. But then you got Tyler Alexander, Jose Urena, and then Derek Holland. And then you got Jose, uh, Julio Terran. Um, I, I mean, they, they got choices at all, but none of them are what I would call, oh, they're absolutely going to be uh, um, and once you get past the Boyd Turnbull Fulmer, I don't think any of them are guarantees to be in in the starting um, uh, rotation. So, no, very true. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see. Um, well, I I think Urena is going to be he's going to be in the starting rotation. Um, Holland, I think if he makes a team, he's going to be in the bullpen. Um, but yeah, um, it will be, uh, you know, Julio Terran was, I thought a very interesting pickup. I was pretty excited by that one. Um, I mean, he, he may flame out, who knows, but it's such a low price. What? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what, what I like, what I like what I've seen out of Avila is he does adapt. Um, you know, he made some really bad decisions a couple of years ago and it left his team exposed. I mean, you know, and again, I know they had a terrible year with injuries, but he still didn't do what he needed to do to, to, to not expose a lot of his young guys a couple of years ago. And he's, he's fixing those mistakes. And I think the Tehran signing to me is the clearest one. Like, okay, you know, I know I've already got a crowded potential starting rotation, but I'm going to add another arm because I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't want to be locked in to having to throw Scooble and Mize out there just to field a competitive team. So good on him. Yep. I, yeah, that, that's exactly it. And it's, it, it's the exact same thing with picking up Nomar Mazzara. It's 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 the exact same thing. They had enough guys to put a team out there, but you know what? This guy is out there, super cheap. He's still only twenty five with four twenty home run seasons behind him. Uh, okay, <laughs> you know I'll I'll pick him up too, because in the outfield you got to figure. I mean, obviously Jacoby Jones, they're looking at him, and you know he's you know, pretty well in ink that he's going to be one of the starters, but then you've got out there, you have Reyes who has played very well the last couple of seasons. So you got to figure he deserves a spot. Kristen Stewart, if he can hit, he's going to be on the team. Although I I grant you that's not looking good. Um, They had the rule five pick in Badu who's killing it in camp right now. Um, But yet, you know, they went out and got Mazzara and they've got all these other young, young kids out there. So it, it it's I think that that's exactly it is we want the young guys and this is where people are going to be a little bit disappointed um, coming into opening day is that a lot of these young kids are not going to be on the opening day roster. Mize will not be on the opening day roster. I watched some of his performance yesterday 
against the Phillies. And I, I will grant you, he was pretty crabby with the strike zone. And the the feed I watched was the Philadelphia announcers. Um, and they were like, yeah, I'd be mad if I were him too. <laughs> um, which, by the way, I wanted to say the Philadelphia announcers, and I, I actually don't know off the top of my head who they are, were actually really good. Most road broadcast or you know non-tigers broadcast and even some tiger broadcasters are terrible they were really good um anyway um you know and seeing the movement on his pitches oh my god you can just see why mize is touted the way he is and you know there there were times when he just buckled knees um and major league good all-star major league players would just sit there and be like, okay, I'm going to go walk back to the bench now. And then he'd hang, you know, a splitter and Bryce Harper would hit it 600 feet. So very, very far. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, Mize is going to start in AAA. Scoobles probably going to start in AAA. And, and again, you know, people are, are super excited and rightfully so about Torkelson and Green. And they're struggling in camp. And it's a reminder, as Torkelson's going out there and playing every day, that baseball's hard. (laughs) And professional (laughs) baseball is hard. Yeah. And yes, Torkelson, supremely talented, has yet to play a professional baseball game. Right. (laughs) You know, and so um, we're we're not going to see the kids right out of the gate. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Uh, real quickly, and I think it's really important with Turkleson and Green that they basically didn't play a game last season, and that's very impactful yep. to their development uh, as professional Major League Baseball players. So that that was it, Brandon. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, no, that's a good point. I was just going to say, you know, we're we're, you know, I think right. Folks are going to be disappointed, but you know, what I'm interested in is, you know, maybe not quite waiting all the way until September in terms of call ups, but July and August, I mean, then, then we'll see, you know, what, what's really going down with some of these guys. You know, I'm really interested in Brady's and what's going on there with that second. How's that going to play out? That could potentially be a huge boom um, to, to the team uh, if, he, if he's able to play and do well, you know, in terms of their rebuild and the development of the guys. Um, and so I think that's exciting, um, you know, and I think they should send Mize down to AAA like he's – he will be a number one pitcher, I think, in the league. Um, but he needs, time. he needs time. Yep. And you know, and that's you touched on something, Brandon, that I, I wanted to also get to, which is I have to admit I'm a little bit excited about what AJ Hinch is doing right now in spring training with basically saying, I want my guys to be able to play anywhere on the field. And so Jacoby Jones, who has been a terrific center fielder. I mean, was the best defensively rated center fielder a couple of years ago. He's going to play in left field half the time because he's like, well, I don't know. Maybe Hill's going to be the center fielder. Maybe somebody else is going to be the center fielder. It's it, there's no preconceived notion. Same with Paredes. You know, it, the the organization prior had been a little bit down on him as a middle infielder, and he's going out there saying, no, I want to see what he's got at second base. Um, I mean, and he's hinches move guys all over the field. They've even talked about scope moving over to third base, uh, depending on the way other things, uh, play out. I mean, Eric Haas, a catcher has been playing left field, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, 
and they let Cabrera on the field. So a noted change in the in the way they do things. Of course, Hinch is big into the shifts and stuff like that too, but we'll talk about that once the season uh, gets underway, I think. But I, I just, I, I, I like, that's the way I like, if I were a major league manager, not that I'm qualified, that's the type of team I would want. I want a team that is very versatile and is comfortable all over the field. And, yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think this is, I think, will be the first time of many times this year that we talk about A.J. Hinch and the difference that he makes. He is a manager in Major League Baseball, you know. He should still be, if they weren't cheaters, uh, you know, helping the Astros contend for World Series championships for another couple of years here. So, I mean, that's what you get when, you, when, when a guy like that falls into your lap, you know, the way that he did. And, you know, when we're now shifting, I think, in a good way, uh, in Detroit to now having, you know, two of the four teams have really outstanding coaches. Wayne Casey is an outstanding coach. Yeah. Outstanding manager. Like, it's, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time. I, I'm pretty excited about the Nomar Mujer pickup. I think he's a guy that, uh, um, you know, and he hit admittedly, he said, I did not play well last season. Uh, he had a real problem, you know, ended up, you know, the, ended up quarantining himself, even though I don't think he had COVID, but just based on symptoms and whatever, did that and uh, and did get pretty sick. Uh, and he said I, I, he just basically didn't make a full recovery. And, of course, with the shortened season, he was trying to get back and, and show his worth. And he said it didn't work out really well. And it sounds like he is having a pretty decent spring down in Lakeland. Granted, it's rather abbreviated because he just got in maybe a week and a half ago. But – uh, it, it appears that by all indication that he should be going back to a, a 20 home run. Granted, he's not the best hitter in the world, too, maybe typically about a 250 hitter. But, uh, um, it, you know, for what this team has in the outfield uh, and, and some of the challenges that they've had, either with underperforming or injuries, um, having a Mazzara uh, on, on the team, on the roster, I think will end up being a, a very, very good Alavila move. So. Yeah, there's no downside to it. I think I'm not quite as bullish as either of you are on him. Um, you know, I, to me, playing down in Texas is such an elevation. Like, the numbers just kind of get wonky there. And one, in their offense, and just two in that stadium. But, yeah, I mean, I think you can count on him for 15 to 20 home runs. I think that's fair. Oh, and, 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 and they yeah. need the power. So, you know, I'm not, right. not going to – I don't think I'm quite as bullish, but – uh, he's young, you know, he will give them some, some juice when they need it. And so, you know, thumbs up. Anything else you guys looking for out of the remaining camp? I mean, obviously we've still got a couple of weeks left before we get to opening day, um, which is April 1st. Um, any other things that you're keeping an eye on there? Uh, you mentioned Paredes earlier. I'm, I'm definitely wanting to see his development, um, and I want to see both Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson at least have a few moments within actual games, within you know spring training, to kind of give us that that you know wet the appetite a little bit. Um, and you know, I, I from a pitching standpoint, I'm always beyond cautious. Uh, taking any uh, impression out of camp uh, from the pitchers because it takes yep. them so long to kind of get to where they need to be in order to perform. So I, I don't look too far into that. 
but to that point, and we've talked about it, and, and we'll, we will talk about it almost just beyond nauseum, is continuing to look to see what a guy like A.J. Hinge is doing uh, to, to move this team along and really develop it and, and get it to the point where we're, we're seeing a competitive uh, team on the field 162 games in the season. Yeah, and then the last, you know, just the last thing I'll hit on is, you know, the propaganda machine for Cabrera is back in full swing. So, you know, does he pick it up from last year? Uh, where great he, shape, great shape. Great shape, you know, feel like the best I have in forever, just like last year and the year before, uh, the year before. Uh, so, we'll, but we'll see. I mean, he did start to hit down the stretch last year. And, and and you know what I I called this out on a show that we did uh, where when Garden and Hire it was like literally once Garden Hire was gone all of a sudden he started hitting which I I don't I think that's a coincidence but I'm very curious about what his general overall uh, outward demeanor will be playing for AJ Hinch uh, that 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 is going to be something that I think that you know we need to watch and uh, um, and I'm I'm hoping that this is not a Blake Griffin situation where he's given everything that he can and he's got nothing else to give. Because I, I do think and hopefully he's able to have a little more, more of a David Ortiz uh, um, output toward the end. I don't know if he'll ever get there, but I actually, if I were to bet, I would say that he, he it's an upswing year for Cabrera versus a downswing year. Um, but I will, my caveat there is it could be his last upswing year. Because um, I just don't know how much baseball is left in his body. A physical, a maintenance, uh, health standpoint, you know, um, you know, putting him back out at first reopens up injury possibilities. And we've seen, you know, once he hit 33 or so, he started to become something he could not attain his level, which again was, you know, it's Hall of Fame level uh, hitting, you know, those hip flexors, those little kind of injuries, his mechanics, he's not someone that handles that particularly well. And so, that's what worries me a little bit about putting them out at first. Yeah. On the other hand, and I think the flip side is, I think they're trying to give him some Scooby snacks, if you will. <laughs> and if you let him get out there and play a few games and he's, his head's more in it and what have you. But one thing I will say is while Cabrera from an average standpoint did struggle last year from a power standpoint, I mean, in, in, in that shortened season, he had 10 home runs and 35 RBI. So that would equate to 27, 28 home runs in and near 100 RBI if, if you know, uh, taken all of the season. And he struggled pretty bad in that first part of the season. Um, so there is some reason for an up to be optimistic about an upswing year for him. There, there is absolutely some legitimacy. And I, I do think you're right, Brandon. Cabrera probably has one really good season left in him, but that's it. Um, he may be fine, certainly not worth 30 mil, 32 mil, whatever the hell he's making now, but he might be fine. But I think, yeah, that window is definitely shortening. One thing that will be fun is he's closing in on 500 home runs and 3,000 hits, which is, again, that's Hall of Fame. That's, that, that's upper-tier Hall of Fame level of success. Um, so that is something for Tiger fans to watch. It's been a while since we've really had anything like that um, going on. So that's the story there. Um, and we'll 
we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, but this is the fun part. You know, in spring training, everyone can win the World Series. So, although the Tigers can't this year, but, um, you know, and it, it's really hard to have much in the way of takeaways. I mean, you know, Jamer Candelario is hitting 474 in camp, but then again, it's training camp. Um, you know, so, you know, how much do you really take away from that? So. We'll see. Well, I, I don't think Candelero is going to hit 474 this season. I think we're all on the same page. But the thing is, is that when you combine it with what you saw last season, a reemergence of him as a player and really starting to look like having the potential that he uh, um, that was really viewed before he got traded here, um, I'm – you know, again, those are the little things that get me excited about this team. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, again, the, the you know, the minor league guys getting a full season and, uh, um, you know, and us playing 162 this year. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully by July or August, people in the crowd. So. That would be so exciting. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I would really like to go to a baseball game. Yes. Um, and finding out that I might not be able to go to opening day makes me very sad. In fact, probably will not get to go to opening day. But um, still, it will be nice to get back into the stands. Um, yes. And you know what? I'll even wave the pom-poms. No, actually, I won't. I won't even touch the pom-poms because <laughs> they're probably covered in COVID uh, and other diseases. So. Um, the COVID may have actually started in that gym bag. <laughs> it might. I think that gym bag is a leading candidate. Well, if he ever traveled to Wuhan province, then I think we have our answer. Um, what if someone from Wuhan province sat in that section? Well, that could have happened, yeah. Went went to China. From the <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Is that it started in the gym bag and yes, I see. So for those of you who don't, I mean, we've talked about it very briefly on the show, but we we have a very enthusiastic gentleman who is the head of the Jim Price Fan Club, who sits a uh, section over from us, and and we're right on the edge of the other section, so we're right next to him and he's got his pom-poms during uh, take me out to the ball game at price also waves from the uh, press box. So, and, and every now and again, some other folks, Jack Morris actually did it one game last year. So, or two years ago, whatever. Okay. Enough about that. Um, one thing I, I think is also interesting. Uh, I'll leave you with this last bit of optimism because this is the one part of anything that I can be optimistic in is baseball. Uh, Riley Green, you know, I mentioned earlier he's been struggling to hit 154 in spring training. However, he actually has on the team the highest uh, opponent ranking, meaning this is one of the things they do in spring training is what's the quality of the opposing pitcher. Um, so he his rating is an 8.2, which means triple A or above, essentially meaning he's playing against at least 4A level players, if not major leaguers, and five walks, five strikeouts. I know, super small sample size, but that that's encouraging. And he might be something else. He really might be. There's been every indication between him and Turkleson that they, they're very grounded uh, young men. Uh, they seem to understand the history of baseball, 
And I think they kind of appreciate the fact that they're having this opportunity. And that's where I'm, and you know, those are the intangibles that they're bringing. And again, in the end, it's about how you hit the baseball. But boy, it just seems like they have everything there. And it's just a matter of being patient. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. So, we again, we'll have plenty to talk about, um, you know, when uh, spring training rolls around or uh, rolls to a close, and I'm sure we'll talk quite a bit about that. And I think we're going to be on probably in two weeks. Um, we'll do another show to um, do a preview and, and so on and so forth, March Madness, all that fun stuff that's going to be going on. So... With that said, any uh, final comments? Well, in the next show, we'll start talking a little bit about the Masters, uh, and it'll be almost unavoidable not to talk about that and put it in the name of Brayka DeChambeau, probably. Um, yuck. Uh, but here we are, and uh, that'll be an interesting discussion. And, uh, um, and of course, then we'll be uh, uh, about a week into NFL free agency as well. So we'll kind of finally maybe get our... our get a little bit of a taste of what the Lions are thinking about doing. Yep. Um, sad news, uh, the boxing world marvelous Marvin Hagler died uh, unexpectedly last uh, week. So I think had he not been in a, the same era with Sugar Ray Leonard, we looked on very differently in terms of the quality of his uh, tenure as a champion. I think it's actually better than Sugar Ray Leonard's, uh, even though he lost uh, the fight. Yep, a, a definite boxing great, no question there. And to leave you with one last thing, Wilfred Brimley was actually 51 when uh, Cocoon came out. So, um, according to the fact check department, so so Adam's gonna uh, he's gonna challenge the fact check department perhaps, or at least do the research. Well, he was 49 when they filmed it, but then he was 51 when the movie came out. So. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, still a little alarming, <laughs> but he wasn't. He wasn't our age, Adam, when he filmed it. So thank God for that. No. Well, yeah, yeah, because we're really far off for Wilford Brimley's age. So yes, so far, <laughs> far off. Anyways, Look, and, and this show. Get. End this show, please. <laughs> I will do that. For Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee, my name's Justin Lee. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. <laughs>